The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to Shaken and Stirred. I'm Nigel Barker in New York. I'm here with my great friend who is, well, I say here with, uh, we are on this podcast together, but he is in Blighty in England, Tom Astor. Tom, how are you, buddy? All good in Oxfordshire, a little later at night than, than I am with you in Woodstock. How is upstate? We are fine. We're fine. I, I've got some, uh, some interesting booze news today, but before we get to that, what are you drinking, Tom? Do you know, I'm letting the side down tonight. I'm nothing to do with cocktails at all. I'm drinking a glass of Burgundy because it's hot and it's refreshing. And I've just had dinner and I had late dinner. And um, the idea of drinking a cocktail now is not doing it for me. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Burgundy, what, what Burgundy is it? Yeah, 2005. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's all right. It's been lying around long enough. Well, fantastic. I, I decided to, to, to go for it today. I actually made something that I've never made before. Um, I was, you know, in my local liquor store and I saw a bottle of Jägermeister. You know, the people love it over here. They, they kind of go bonkers for Jägermeister. And I've, I've been thinking about Oktoberfest, and, which kind of leads me into the booze news later on. But, you know, Oktoberfest is sort of almost upon us. Starts September 19th, I believe, and goes through to the beginning of October, October 5th should really be called September Fest, but anyway. Um, you know, and of course, it's been cancelled in Germany this year. Uh, so people all over the world are, are kind of like, kind of mourning Oktoberfest. So I thought, well, you know, Jägermeister being a classic German drink, uh, so popular here in the US. In fact, more people drink Jägermeister in the US than they do in Germany. Do you know something? The most popular drink in my wedding venue is a Jägerbomb with Red Bull and Jägermeister. Which is, you know, very, very popular. And I think actually probably goes towards giving Jägermeister such a bad name because you get hammered with the Jägerbomb. You do, but it also keeps you up and it, and it keeps you up called the Red Bull. It keeps you up longer. So you, you get more hammered later, which as, you, as you're well aware, the later the night goes on, the less coherent one becomes. Absolutely. Well, this is, uh, I, I went looking for cocktails with Jägermeister because I didn't want to do a Jägerbomb. And I came across actually lots and lots of cocktails with Jägermeister, but one of the ones that seemed to be rather popular was called Fright Night in the Grove. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm going to make myself a Fright Night in the Grove. Um, and it's two ounces of Jägermeister, half an ounce of tequila, and half an ounce of simple syrup, and an ounce of fresh grapefruit juice shaken and then poured over ice. And here it is. I'm about to try it. Cheers, my friend. You might have to take over all control of this. I can tell you from experience that if you were to drink half of that cocktail and the color it is and what you've described you put in it, you are going to be in serious trouble. So this could be just, why don't you down it? Well, whereas you called your cocktail Uranus in color last time, this one looks um, perhaps not Uranus, but you know, could be confused with something else. It is an extraordinary color. I mean, the, the Jägermeister has those 56 different botanicals, herbs, spices, and God knows what else isn't in it. And it's actually very potent. I get the interesting thing here is because there's two parts Jägermeister to only half a part tequila. The tequila, I don't, I don't really know what it's there for other than sort of dressing because you just really get smacked by the Jägermeister. But I like those bitter kind of drinks, you know? Okay, so now at this point, I should go just to encourage you. I should go, what was that old English booze song? We like to trip with Nigel, because Nigel is our mate. We like to trip with Nigel, because Nigel is so great. Seven, six, five, four. You're supposed to be downing your drink at this point. Go on, go on, go on. Six, five, 
four, three, two. <laughs> You're sipping all it. Right, all right, all right. Enough of that. Enough of that. Enough of that. Thank you very much. Um, next time we're going to be singing, um, you know, Hitler only had one ball or something. God knows. No, we've done that already. We have done that already. You're quite right. Well, listen, on to a little bit of booze news to get us going. As I was talking about Oktoberfest being cancelled, it, it, it's quite interesting that, you know, all these different fast food joints and what have you, are trying to jump on all these bandwagons by bringing their own booze out and all the rest of it. Well, in America, there's a place called Auntie Annie's. Oh, Auntie Anne's rather, and they make pretzels um, and what have you. They're very popular at the airports and things like that. And they're, they're sort of all over the place. And they've partnered with Sam Adams and they've created these Oktoberfest kits where it's during the period of Oktoberfest, you can, for $89, no less, <laughs> check this out, for $89, you get one six pack of Sam Adams um, Oktoberfest beer. But you, it does also come with four party shirts, or four party hats rather, a DIY pretzel kit that makes 10 pretzels. You also get four Lederhosen style bottle coolers, four Lederhosen suspenders, so you'd love those, Tom, two one liter glass steins, and a recipe book of Oktoberfest inspired dishes. There you go. So Oktoberfest, which is literally around the corner for us, is upon us and all is not lost. You can go and get yourself an Oktoberfest, see this stuff's kicking in, Oktoberfest um, kit. Nigel, Nigel is our mate, come on. We like to drink with Nigel, because Nigel is so great. Seven, six, come on. Right, we're only making plans for Nigel. Now, do you have any booze news, Tom, yourself? Yes, I got some very important booze news. I've got such, as I was discussing in an earlier podcast, I've got such a bumper crop of apples this year that normally I just send it off to be pressed into um, apple juice, which is delicious, and especially when it's mixed with my pears. This year, I've decided to hold back on some of the apples and um, make some cider. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's my business. I have gone into cider production. Last time you announced the cocktail that you're making at your actual place, so you were sort of promoting yourself there. And now you've used Booze News on another podcast to actually launch your own side of venture. See, I'm completely missing this. I need to be doing my own product placement. But the difference between what I'm doing and what other people do is I'm not launching anything. I'm just launching the, the concept of what, well, the, the, just basically that's my Booze News because it's not for sale. It's purely for me. And if you want some, then you have to be invited to my house to drink it. Oh, there you go. I will see you shortly. <laughs> we have a rather exciting guest today. We weren't sure that she was going to show up. We've only ever once been stood up on Shaken and Stirred, and we actually managed to still do that podcast. But our guest today, you know what? Time gets confused once in a while. And I, I can tell you that she's not known for getting the time wrong. In fact, I have known her for so long that I can say that she's probably, you know, someone who I absolutely can depend upon, as all of us can. Our guest today is an award-winning fashion designer, best-selling author, has a podcast with her daughter, and has even appeared on several TV shows, including America's Next Top Model. Um, please welcome the brilliant Cynthia Rowley. Cynthia. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. This is a huge honor. And the only reason why I'm late and was confused is because it's technically, although it doesn't feel like it or seem like it, it's technically Fashion Week in New York. True. So we are our show, which was a video, 
and Lookbook just went up right at three o'clock on the CFDA, Vogue, IMG, all those sites. So I've seen it. It looks amazing. So congratulations, by the way. Thank um, you. I, you know, I know it's a crazy, crazy week. It is, of course, Fashion Week right now in New York City. And, but it's, as to your point, it is sort of socially distancing, digital, you know, people are doing shows, sort of, um, you know, on the roof, as long as no one can really watch it, you know, in Spring Street. <laughs> They're doing videos, which I think is the smartest thing to do. And actually, I think my greatest fear, Cynthia, is that it's probably going to be such a successful thing to do and good idea and probably smart way to spend the, the money that one does spend on fashion shows in a way that, in, a, in something that you can then use as a tool over and over again, create when you create a video that you might continue to do it after the fact. Yeah. I mean, I just think now is the time to like reinvent and reboot and be daring and and reimagine what you're doing. And I just think, does that mean I'll never do a runway show again? Of course not. You know, who knows? I may or may not. You know, if it's fun, I would do it. But now I think the most important thing as a designer now is not just the clothes. It's the feeling that you give your audience about your work. So, no, 100%. You know what I mean? So, I just think that now is the time that I want to tell a story that really conveys the spirit and the intention of our brand and not so much about like commercial, like, here's a look, you know, buy this, buy that. You know, it's not really so much about that. It's more like just, being able to make people happy with your... But I mean, on, on that note, Tom and I are thinking of changing Shaken and Stirred into a home makeover show. So we 100% agree that, um, you know, <laughs> it's time to pivot and, 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 and react to what people really want and, are, and actually really enjoy. And so we think we're just going to get drunk in everyone else's homes and change this into a home makeover show. But I like that. There, what are you drinking? You can walk, you can just walk right over to my house, aren't you? Aren't you kind of close? Right now I'm in I'm in Woodstock, upstate New York. I used to live in the village very close to you. Uh, do you have a cocktail with you? I think I saw it. I do. Basically, not to say I'll drink anything, but I'll kind of drink anything. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I like to have a, a lot of variety, as I know you guys do too. And so sometimes, you know how a uh, cocktail just can bring back floods of memories of, you know, exotic times. So now that 100%. we can't travel and can't really get on a plane and go to some far-flung destination, I decided I should just do it through my cocktails. So I'm drinking Perno and water. Doesn't sound very glamorous, but it reminds me of being in Morocco in the middle of the desert and someone taking out a bottle and just saying, you know, pour this into your water. And it just has like a vibe for me. Normally when someone at a party tells you to pour something into your water, you should run <laughs> as far away as possible. Um, and, and Tom, when it comes to Morocco, you're an expert. Is, is Perno the drink of choice in Morocco, Tom? Yeah, any, I mean, the, you know, there are various drinks which are Obviously, it's a French colony, wasn't it? So, um, Perno is a French drink, anise, anise. So, yeah, Perno or Ricard, there are two. And I don't know, Cynthia, if you've 
having had your perno, have you had your recar, which is the same concept as a sort of aperitif uh, or digestif. I mean, it's, uh, the French view is totally medicinal, this this drink. Right. Gave, gave it to the Moroccans. But have you had the diff? There's a recar and there's perno. So I love it. I love drinking it. Have you also tried the recar yet? Or? I have tried it. And what do you think? And I think there's other countries that do their version of the same thing. But I like Pernod because I like the yellow milkiness mm. of when you mix it with water. Isn't it a sort of a form of an essence of some sort? Is that exactly is that... exactly? I like it stirred. No, for sure. Well, it's it's yeah. I I remember you know it was obviously very it became very popular when absinthe was sort of banned all over the world. So you know that's where Pernod kind of popped up and took over the, the bandwagon there because it didn't have the one thing that absinthe has in it, which is actually not a drug after all, but all right. thought it was. It's only because they were getting absolutely drunk beyond belief on it and then dying. And that's what can happen with any alcohol. But <laughs> moving swiftly. Yeah. But I, like the, I like the romance of it. I think it's romantic. I drank a lot of rosé all summer. And now I want something that's a little more cozy and more romantic. Well, thank God for that. I thought we said it's very romantic. The idea of Nigel had just said, you know, lots of people were drinking it and, and dying from it. Which, <laughs> which point you said, well, it's such a romantic notion, all this Frenchman staggering around and dropping dead. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so let's jump right into it. You know, I was, first of all, Congratulations on your collection right now you just released. I, I saw a video that you put out, and it's this, this whole dancing through the streets and the upbeat motion. It's, what was the inspiration for you with that video, with the dancing in the streets and all the models having fun? And, and the, you know, what was that about? I wanted to highlight this moment in time right now. I feel like what's happening in New York right now, where every small businesses, restaurants, to, in order to really save their businesses, they scraped together whatever and built these little uh, dining areas on the sidewalk, in the street, like all over the city. And it's only gonna last until it gets cold. I think end of October is actually legally when they have to be removed. But so right now, this moment right now is something that may never happen again. And in all, all the history of New York, and I mean, let's hope so. But all the stores outside, that might continue, right? That's something which people, New Yorkers, have um, embraced. They've rather enjoyed having this sort of street access because it's, it's actually, funnily enough, in New York City, it's quite hard for restaurants and bars to get outside access and to have people sit outside. It's, you know, there's one, there are a few restaurants, but a lot of places sort of do it on the sly and then have to, you know, put their chairs away and it's not legal. But now everywhere you go because of COVID, everyone's outside and they've kind of made it a thing. I love it. I feel like it's a New York strong moment. I feel like it's just like a sense of community. You know, there's support, everyone's supporting each other. And I've never seen so many people safely out on the streets, you know, and just out and enjoying the the city in a way that we it's never happened before. Sounds like sounding like sort of this kind of cafe life, like pavement life, it's like Paris, you know, it's like a sort of that something struck me that we've just we've discussed in the previous podcast that there was as a result of COVID is that a lot of states have decided to just ignore 
the ba- alcohol ban, you know, you're not allowed to drink outside of America, whereas in Europe, you're, you can walk down the street with a, a, a bottle of beer and it's completely normal. In a lot of states in America, they don't allow drinking outside. COVID has changed that. We've covered this in a, previ- in a previous thing when, when a lot of states have, have decided just to relax the fact that you can't drink outside. And the big question was, was at the end of COVID, are those states, having got a taste of it and having like, well, it's not that frightening for people to be drinking outside, are they going to just, will it stay, that kind of concept? Because your idea of, of, of what you're describing of people sitting on the streets outside a bar, I mean, outside a cafe is one thing, having a coffee, but obviously, like a bar in France, you can have a perno and a coffee. Well, I think you have to order food in order to be served alcohol here. Ah. There are bars in Brooklyn that I know, only from my people who work with me who live in Brooklyn, who have told me they've gone bar hopping in Brooklyn. And the bars, what they've done is that they have opened up the front of the bar to the street, and you literally get your cocktail at the bar, at the, literally outside on the street side, right up against the window, have your drink there, and you can bar hop from front of, front of establishment to front of establishment. Which is that amazing? So it is quite amazing. But they're getting there. Getting there. They're definitely getting there. But you were you mentioned this, you know, being able to drink outside, Tom. And that's one of the only places I think you can do that in America is New Orleans, right? So in New Orleans, people can walk it up and down the street with a hurricane in their hand. Uh, or, or and sometimes it's in a plastic cup, sometimes it's in a hurricane glass, but you can do it there. But your music that you played for your this video you put together, wasn't it New Orleans inspired jazz? It's not New York. Okay, so the story about behind that was that I was going home one night and I heard this music playing in my neighborhood. And I was like, what is that? Where, where is this coming from? And it was so good. I couldn't tell if it was just like a recorded, recorded music or, or live. And I turned the corner and there they are. They're called the East Village All-Stars. They are a troupe of five guys, five dudes that just had been playing at bars in the East Village. And of course, when everything shut down, they had no nothing to, to do, nowhere to go. And when phase one opened restaurants outside, they were like, we're just going to take our show on the road. And they started an Instagram that they would just post like, here's where we're going to be. We'll be in Williamsburg tonight. We'll be in East Village. We'll be in the West Village. It was formed during quarantine. And it's a product of this whole new world where we just have to go with the flow. You know, whatever's happening, we're just going to make the best of it. It's, again, like New York strong. And they just want to make people happy with their music. And, and they go out every night. A lot of fun. I really enjoyed the, the, the video, the concept. It's very you. It's very fresh. All these young girls, they're dancing through the streets. They're having a good time. It put a smile on my face. It reminded me of times that, that we used to have, right? And, and it reminded, also reminded me of times we need to have again, right? So you totally hit it. So well done. Congratulations. The collection looked great. I love the way... You know, and Tom, you know, Tom is a huge fashion person, is what if you didn't know. You know, Tom is really well versed when it comes to fashion. It's really his thing, uh, <laughs> which is the reason why he decided to move to the Cotswold in Oxford, just so that he could really be in the heart of it all, um, <laughs> the sort of throbbing heartbeat of the fashion world. But, um, you know, you, Cynthia, have mixed, as you always have done, sort of swimwear with ready to wear, and there's dresses. In, that are, you know, that have a sort of 
the same time you've got um, neoprene outfits underneath them, and it's all coming, to, it's all together on the street at the same time. You're presenting sort of different collections, but all intertwined uh, and paired together. Is that how you also imagine people wearing them, or is it just a bohemian way of showing it? I mean, I think when we started making wetsuits, people were scratching their heads like, what? I thought you made pretty dresses. You know, right. I thought you only did this. And that's like, you know, does anyone ever want to be typecast? No, you want to always keep people guessing and be like, I always feel like I'm like popping out of the bushes, like surprise, <laughs> now I'm doing wetsuits or surprise, now I'm doing roller skates. So I think, you know, I just wanted to, I love to surf. So I was like, why, why isn't anyone making cute wetsuits? And so we started making those. And then that became like the, the wetsuits were inspiring the clothes and the clothes were inspiring the wetsuits. And it all sort of like in, at least in my mind was coming together and probably you're not going to wear a wetsuit out at night, but maybe I do have some friends that have done it. But your pieces are not, they're not necessarily conventional as far as when you say wetsuit. It's, it's almost the wrong word for it. I mean, it, they are obviously wetsuits, but in my opinion, and, and I, obviously correct me if, if you think differently, but when I saw them and I, it was just for me a moment of like, not, not just was it like, a, oh my God, these are great, but it was, I don't know who else has done it. And then I'm thought, thinking to myself, this is such a great idea because they're inherently sexy in a weird way at wetsuits. There's something yeah. about the concept of you see a surfer and they, un they take them off and they have them hanging down and there's, there's a yeah. sort of release of having them on and off. And so there's that kind of element of it. And then to take that and then to sort of put color and cut and different fabrics and, you know, just to totally shake it, shake it up was like a stroke of genius, in my opinion. So I was curious too as to whether that's how it's been received, in, you know, nationally or internationally. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think people understand that they're they're functional and they do keep you warm when you're surfing and they're SPF 50 and, you know, we make all different weights and everything. So they are a functional garment, but they're also like really fucking hot, right? They're so sexy. I think I've seen your wife in some of that. You have indeed. You have indeed. I'm waiting to see Tom in one, actually. I yeah. Know. Hey, have you seen me in one? Whoa. I know. Course, I suddenly uh, realized you're saying wetsuits can be worn anywhere. Did you really say a minute ago? Well, you know, <laughs> you might not wear a wetsuit on a night out. Shit. Do you know something? I, I had you, everyone should be wearing wetsuits on nights out <laughs> when we get to go out again. Maybe that's the answer. When it starts getting too cold to eat outdoors in New York City, you put on a wetsuit and go out. No, but the problem is, Cynthia, is the last time I went out with him, he was wearing a suit and he wet it. <laughs> but that's a whole other story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you've, you've made all kinds of unusual things. I was doing, you know, looking through your archives of, you know, clothes and things you've made and accessories and all the rest of it. And, one of the things I that obviously drew to, drew you know my attention was the um, a bracelet that you created that was a, is, a, is a gold flask. It's like a drinking flask, right? Is that correct? Is that this is okay? So here's the here's how that's that happened. So I would always joke that we have kids the same age, so you know what I'm talking about. But like when you would have to go to like a school play or you know the PTA meeting or whatever. 
I always used to joke, I'd be like, oh, too bad I don't have my flask bangle with me that I could be like nipping, you know, during the school play. And so you mean your daughter's sippy cup wasn't enough? <laughs> oh, good one. Why didn't I think of that? Uh, Is oh, that yeah, what yeah. Doing? Come on. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All those soccer mums watching sports. You want to be doing? Sippy cups. It's not water. They've all got, you know, rosé or some or, or something stronger in there. Probably got Pernod with water. Damn, I totally miss the boat. I think now my kids are too old. I can't, I can't say it's a sippy cup. Can I say that? I don't know how old your kids are, but for the benefit of the podcast listeners, you won't have been able to see this, but I can see it. But if a child of, all, of yours left the house about 10 minutes ago, they've left the front door open. <laughs> I know. Oh, so, look, and my dog is like trying to escape. Yeah. They left it open because they're trying to be quiet. They didn't want to close the. <laughs> you need to close make me very nervous. Since really. I'm facing this way, just make sure if some creepy somebody comes in behind me, just give me a little sign. Oh, what can we do? Like I'm, I'm in the cots. I'm in the Cotswolds. I promise you, I won't be able to do very much. Signal. Just give me a high. Uh, just here. Let me see. Oh yeah. Look, he's he's she's he, moving the camera so it doesn't freak you out. I love that. That's very very sympathetic of you. Um so <laughs> you have this is he a nickname, Slim? I want, oh, wait, so can I say about the flask bango? Of course, of course, of course. So one day I was like, I'm gonna wait, why don't I actually make it? So I, I made it and I actually got a patent on it because I was like, if I can get a patent, I wanna have someday like a when I die, I want my kids to find a shoebox under my bed and be like, mommy had a patent? And then they're gonna see it was a flask bangle and they'll know that that's exactly what I should have a patent on. And, and has, it, has it done well? Is it something you still stock and still make? Yeah we, yeah, we still make it and it's stainless steel. You can actually stack up a few if you want, like bangles, you know. Tom, think about that. Think about that. You can get, you can get some for your girlfriend. I've just had an idea. Hang on a minute. I might be on something here. You might be on something. When I was skiing last season before all this stuff happened, and the ski, the guy I was skiing with, this kind of pro in France, at lunch, after lunch, we, we were getting back on our skis. But we're trying to get back on our skis. It was a good lunch. Um, anyway, he, he, he suddenly unscrewed his ski pole. Oh, yeah. I've seen those. Uh, yeah, and he had a, it was full of his homemade ginopy, which is that, you know, thing that's that plant that's grows at the high at the high alps. So he had the ski pole. You've got the bang. Where does it stop? I mean, can't you turn everything into some sort of receptacle for alcohol? This is an exciting pattern. Like this could be a pattern fest on. I mean, I, you know, the heel of your shoe could be a little sort of something. A hundred percent. I've seen you drink out of a boot before. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out one that I can have um, on my surfboard in this. Hair band, Alice band. I've seen a men's tie, but nobody's wearing ties anymore. A tie without with a with a with a thing in it. Yeah. Oh my god. That... Like a um, like a bladder, <laughs> you know, one of those. Amazing. Yeah. I actually got a one of those masks, you know, one of these these COVID masks the other day, and it has a little patch that you open up and has a straw that comes out, so you can continue to wear your mask and have your drink through your mask with the straw that comes on the outside. So I was like, okay, well, that's kind of interesting as well. I thought you were going to say that it was a flask mask. Flask mask. 
Cynthia. <laughs> so you could well, just walk around. Good idea now. <laughs> I told everybody. Brilliant. Sorry to interrupt again. And it's podcast, the benefit of our listeners. I think if dogs managed to open the door and it's actually gone outside. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and for everyone who's watching or listening, rather, right, right now, Cynthia's dog has actually gone outside. Cynthia's run outside. She's now actually got the dog back in and shut the door, and she's coming down here. Well done, Tom. You've saved the day. <laughs> saved the dog saved the day. I've never seen him open a door. He's really not that smart. He's really, really cute, but he's one of the dumbest dogs you've ever we've, met. We've got it on film. We've got it on camera, him opening that door anyway. And you have to be aware that Tom's actual voice is enough to scare most dogs out of the house. <laughs> Ziggy was outside and Tom on Zoom saw him go outside. Yeah. Is that, is that Gigi? That's Gigi and Kit. Gigi and Kit. Well, good to see you girls. Nice. It's been a while. If you remember me, Nigel, Jack's dad. So Gigi and Jack went to school together. Yeah, I remember that. Jack's all grown up Jack's now. Jack's all six foot two now, and you know, oh I couldn't believe it. I know, playing basketball and, and all the rest of it. So you guys should say should meet each other once again sometime in the future. It would be nice. How nice is this? Cynthia, how, how sweet is this? So, Tom, Cynthia's kid, uh, well, daughter, Gigi, and Jack went to preschool together. Uh, yep. It's called Barrow Street uh, in the West Village years and years ago. What is it now? It must have been 10, 12 years ago, probably. Yeah, 12, probably. 12 years. Two and a half, three years old they were. So, yeah. so little. And we've known each other since then, which is very, very oh. sweet. We've watched these children grow up. And Gigi is a beautiful young lady. And, and Kit, who was just a little girl at the time, is now a woman and sort of does a podcast with her mother called Ageless. Right. Um, Thank you. So tell us about that. Tell us about what is it like to be a designer, you know, to have, have two children, live this busy life, you, and it's interesting because you've actually constantly so far throughout this, this, this conversation, this interview we're having, talked about how the things that you've designed and come up with have all been in, inspired by your own life and things that you're doing, things that you like to do, whether it's surfing, whether it's I want to drink because I'm bored in the middle of this <laughs> event that my kids are doing. But, but now you're doing a podcast with your daughter. So is that, is that also what's that inspired by, just, just hanging out? Or? Oh, I guess you know, it's like anything, like everything you do. And, you know, it's kind of an organic thing where Kit and I were talking and then we enjoy talking about all different kinds of subjects. She has a real interest in health and wellness and fitness and cooking. And, you know, we I learn a lot from her. And so we just decided that we should do this podcast together. And it's called Ageless because in a way, I think age doesn't really matter at all. And, you know, she- Tom and I almost called our podcast Ageless as well, actually. We just decided <laughs> to change it. But anyway. You could. We, we still could. You I know. Ageless. I decided to shave my head instead. <laughs> age limit. Maybe. I like it. Age limit. There you go. What do call that? Age limit. I like that, Tom. That's good. Yeah. So, so tell me about Ageless, because I've been invited to, to speak on Ageless. But then, of course, after I said, yes, I could, I never got a call back, which I, I'm not quite sure what that means. Hey, what, what do you think about that, Tom? I was asked to be on Ageless. No. Right, by now, rejection should come easily to you. It happens a lot. You want to know the actual truth? We've oh, never had no, a... Don't tell me the truth. Anything we, but the truth. We've simply. never had a boy on before. We've never had a boy. 
So you would be our first boy. So we want to make sure we're totally ready for that. Well, he's a proper boy. <laughs> um, yeah, we would be honored. Thank you so much for listening from upstairs. Absolutely. <laughs> Direction from upstairs. I, I, I think that would be wonderful. And I, I, you know, obviously would be honored when and as and when. And I did wonder, actually, because I went and checked out Ageless and, and listened to several sort of bits and pieces from it. I did notice that there haven't been any men. Uh, so, so then I thought, okay, I get it. You you want to talk about, you know, girl things or things that women want to talk about. But I can also talk about those things too. But I think you can. Yeah, you can. And we 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 need an occasion. We're going to have a, think of a good occasion to have. 100%. And I can't wait. And, and I, you know, perhaps even I'll, you know, have Tom will be my phone a friend. Um, you know, or he'll be you know, my, my expert in case I need some, you know, real counseling on how to handle, you know, women issues, right, Tom? I'm always here, Nigel, I'm on the end of the phone for you. Always uh, there. You know the way. You know, I do know, I do know, I'm, I'm very well versed. Uh, you know, so, so again, another great thing, when I was doing, you know, obviously I know you, and, and I've been to your shows, collections, I've photographed your clothes. I know, thank before. you so much. You're supportive, always. I always love, because you're taller than everyone, I always can see you in the crowd, and it always makes me so happy. Those are the heels that I wear, but <laughs> I speak to the female audience because of my heels. Are you doing heels on wheels? <laughs> heels on wheels. I love heels on wheels. It's such I a love that too. Such a brilliant concept. No, it's fantastic, heels on wheels. I mean, I think Tom's going to sign up for heels on wheels <laughs> to actually be doing the delivery, not actually receiving heels on wheels. But, um, you know, that's Tom by day, Tomasita by night. <laughs> Now, look, I wanted to ask, you know, as I was saying, I've been looking, when I did my research and I, and I was looking at various things and, you know, interviews that you've done and what have you, I was very delighted to see that your number one photograph of choice that pops up is a black and white headshot that I remember photographing, you know, and, and it was this great shot of you that I've always loved too, but it's, I was very touched to see that you, you know, you obviously enjoy it and, and, and people like to see it and it pops up quite regularly. It's my absolute favorite photo of all time. And I feel like we did the whole thing in like, it felt like 20 minutes and just like so perfect and beautiful and capturing the sort of casualness of I think because we know each other too, like I felt comfortable, which I usually am kind of like deer in the headlights if I'm being photographed and like stressed. And, you know, and it was just like really comfortable. And it, that shows in the photo. I love it. I love and, it. I, I loved it too. Well, actually, I think to your point, I mean, it's, you know, you don't really have more than about 10 minutes with anybody before any, it gets awkward if you're taking their picture. You know, so, you know, and I even think that with models too, even if regardless of the situation, it gets boring or they lose their, you know, the, the concept, it, you know, flies out the window unless you kind of are able to move fast and quick and sh change their perspective or whatever so that there's something else to think about. And, you know, so for sure, you know, I think it was a lot of fun and, and, and I, I, that's the way I shoot always is, is quick, fast and try and have it all kind of laid out in advance so that we can just execute very quickly, but I think we definitely need to do that again. Oh, I, I mean, that photo is timeless, ageless. Like there's some fashion designers, you know, that use photos that are probably 20, 30 years old and they're still using them as their headshots. And 
I think I might do that also with that. Uh, one. <laughs> no, you wouldn't be the first. I shot Vera Wang's photograph about 20 years ago, and that still pops up. I shot one for Betsy Johnson, and that comes up over and over and over again. But I mean, I think too, when it's a classic picture, and that one is, it's one of those sort of timeless moments, black and white always helps. But anyway, enough about that. I was just, I brought it up because I was rather sort of tickled. But, you know, again, I was asking you earlier about your nickname, Slim. And I, I, I know that when, I was wondering, is it your nickname? It's you're clearly very slim. But is that what it is? <laughs> OK, the real origin of that nickname, it originated when I was in high school. I always had like a million jobs, like I had like 10 different jobs. And especially during the summer, and I was working with these old men painters and they would pick me up at 6 a.m. in the morning and we'd go have steak and eggs and then we'd go to the job and I painted trims and they did the big stuff and they'd be like, hey, Slim, don't forget this spot over here. Hey, Slim, you missed a spot. Hey, Slim. And they just started calling me that and then it became my nickname and it stuck with me all this time. That's very cute. That's no, great. It's great. I, you know. I've been known as Big Nige. <laughs> Nigel's real nickname is Dick, and that has stuck with him since the yeah, literally. <laughs> I've known him since he was thirteen, and you, and it's it's great. You can say it anytime you want to. <laughs> still, you still respond. We have a bunch of nicknames for each other. One of them is Snowy, and Tom had a uh, a butler called Snowy who lived in, who basically worked with his family his entire life. And I think it was... I don't know about that, but it was exactly my great... It was my great-grandmother's butler, who my father ended up from time to time. Um, yeah, you, exactly. He just inherited him. But yeah. As one does, inherits a butler. But, um, you know, and we... we I wish I inherited a butler. Well, yeah. The thing is, is that I kind of did, except I call him my valet. Um, and unfortunately, he has, he has to stay in England now and um, just appear on my podcast. Uh, <laughs> but um, he's very amusing and he, he's actually pretty good at ironing. Unfortunately, I can't iron your shirts at the moment. It's terrible. You were, did such a good job ironing my boxer shorts. That's what I really like. Because you know, that's the most important thing to have that fine line crease, you know. In the... Anyway, I want to do a little bit of history uh, on you because I, I know people know you now as a designer and all the rest of it. But you're, you know, where you started off, and, and you know, I, I was reading just about you know through your history, where you know, where you came from, where you were born, and what have you. But you apparently made your first dress when you were seven years old. It seems to me that being destined to be a fashion designer since you basically were born. Well. I did start sewing when I was seven. I did start making clothes when I was seven, but like it was far from being a designer, I think. I mean, I didn't really have a sense of, I didn't even know what a fashion designer was at that time. I was just making things and I loved to make things and I would make, you know, it could have been anything. It could have been furniture. It could have been, I, I used to paint and draw and everything. So Sewing was just another form of the creative process. Were you following, were you going to like Vogue patterns and like, and then getting the design and making it or were you coming out with it yourself? Well, like in the beginning, I would put the fabric on the floor and lay down and dr trace around myself like a crime scene victim, you know, and then cut it out and sew it together. And then later I graduated to home sewing patterns, which now I ha now you can buy a Cynthia Raleigh home sewing pattern and sew our stuff. 
which I think is so nice, like so full circle. But yeah, I graduated to that. And then I would start mixing those up and I would take vintage clothes and cut things apart and sew them onto new things. And I think that fashion from the time you're a little kid is a way as a means of self-expression. So had there were no boundaries. I never, my parents let me just go crazy and wear whatever, you know, and they were both art, art, art teachers. Is that right? Music teachers. Well, my mom is an, uh, is an artist and my dad is a science teacher. So like kind of like nutty professor style. So the combination of the two was kind of fostered a lot of creativity. Well, just looking at your career, I mean, I was just looking through it. I mean, I, one of the things too that comes through is that you're obviously very humble and, you know, you, you sort of, sort of suggest that, oh, well, I kind of, this happened and I fell into that. And, you know, that I, you, you, but you were, you were at college and you were in Chicago and, you know, I think I'm right in saying that you're, you sold your first collection to Marshall Fields or something in when you were at college even? Well, this, this woman saw me wearing this jacket on the subway train there, or the, they call them the elevated trains there. And she asked me about it. And I said, oh, I'm a designer. This is my collection, <laughs> which is so, it was total BS. And she said, here's my card. Come, you know, let me see your collection. So I went to her office with some stuff that I had sewn that weekend and brought to her office. And she ended up giving me an order. I mean, she sort of quizzed me ahead of time. She was like, what's the style number on that? And I was like, one, you know, what's the style number on that too? You know, and it just like, I just like in that fake it till you make it kind of way of, you know, naively kind of getting into things. I got my first order. And then I sewed it all myself and, you know, delivered it to her office in shopping bags. And she was like, what are you doing here? You know, you're supposed to ship to a distribution center and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, everything was like, I learned the hard way. I didn't really know anything. And maybe not the naivete part of that was what kind of propelled me to keep going because I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I just had like this kind of wonderment about like, oh, well, this is good. Oh, I'm doing great. You know, like without knowing anything, I thought I was doing great. But if I knew what the industry was like, I could have easily felt like I could never, I couldn't do it, that I would be, you know, that there were too many obstacles or too many things that but that's never stopped you, it seems. I mean, you know, looking again, you know, you, you, you're clearly a risk taker, a humble one if, 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 if at that. But there's an element of the sort of choices that you've made and the things that you've done and the risks that you've taken. And, and whether it's even doing something like deciding to do neoprene and do wetsuits um, in, when people know you for doing pretty dresses and things and people thinking, well, what the heck? But then it works because it, it's like, well, who cares what you think? I, I want well, that, to, you know? Yeah, I think that like having that underdog mentality, you know, like being sort of, I mean, maybe I was the darling for a little bit when I, maybe when I won a CFDA award or I won some award or whatever, I might've been a darl the darling for a minute, but I never was 
I, I was always the underdog and always kind of the outsider. And so I always felt like I had nothing to lose. You know, I felt like, like I really never felt like, oh, I have this rarefied level of success that I could lose it all. You know, I always felt like I had to make my own way. And whatever I did was, I had to take risks. You created a very unique brand. I mean, there's no doubt for me, I can see one of your outfits or a shirt or a dress or something you've done. And I know it's yours. You know, from a distance. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, from a distance, it doesn't matter where. I can be in the airport. I can see something, someone wearing Cynthia Rowley. I can see something you've done. And that's, it's not easy for a lot of designers to be able to pull that off, especially when you do such unusual things and you, and you cross so many kind of boundaries, if you like. It's one thing if you stay in your lane and then it's like, okay, I get it. You do the pant or you do the suit or you do the thing, this jumpsuit, or you're known for a little black dress or you're known for something. But you know, you've done all kinds of things and done all kinds of collaborations as, as extreme as, you know, and Tom, this is unusual, but, you know, things like a collaboration with Band-Aids. Oh, yeah, that was good. You know, with, with her patterns on them. And then there's sort of <laughs> surfboards. And then there's... But when you said when you said that, you know, you, you look at a dress presenter and you can tell it's one of hers. Can I, for the benefit, again, we're on a podcast, so if you're listening to this and you haven't had the benefit of looking at Cynthia's stuff, can I read something out of the New York Times description? I mean, it's an old, you, I don't know whether you like it or not, but for the benefit of people who haven't seen your clothes, does this do your clothes justice as the New York Times? Is it going to be bad? Blurty, vibrantly coloured dresses and tops in wispy materials that have a whiff of the carefree, simple spirit. Wow. I might have to steal that. I, I think you can use it. The New York Times described you as it. Claire McCardle at the New York Times, that is how she described your clothing. I like Vogue called it, they call my clothes surf leisure. I think that's kind of cool too. Yeah, it is kind of cool. As long as they're not talking about the sort of Roman surf, which is a sort of a, a, sort of a completely different type of surf, obviously, S-E-R-F. But anyway. Is that dirty? Oh, surf. <laughs> oh. <laughs> completely different. I got it. I got it. I got it. Of the Legion. Sure. Yeah. I got it. You know, it's my it's my English uh, education coming in. It's Latin. My 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 years of doing you know studying Latin. I bet this is the first time you've talked about Roman serfs on your podcast. Well, it's partly because we you know Tom and I when we grow up, you know, he was known as a serf and I was known as a standard bearer. But you know, not much has changed in our relationship ever since. Actually, I think he might right. now become you know. Uh, Centurion. I think we could sort of upgrade him to Centurion. Oh, nice. But, um, you know, hey, not much changes in life. We've known each other since we were like 13 years old, Cynthia. Hence this rather childish relationship the two of us have. Also, Cynthia, because you were slightly delayed onto our podcast today, nice did something he doesn't normally do, which is he went and made himself tonight a particularly potent cocktail. But unfortunately, he doesn't normally drink his cocktails. He just pretends to because he can't handle it. He gets, very, he gets pissed quite easily. Anyway, tonight, tonight, because you were half an hour late, he unfortunately forgot what he was doing. And he's got a Jägermeister-based tequila drink, which he managed to get through three quarters of. Oh. So if most of the questions he's asked, if you basically don't understand most of what he's saying, 
which is what which is my normal state of affairs with him. Um, it's that well, is the reason why. I feel I might be catching up to you. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad. I, I was actually wishing. I was just looking for my mute button actually for Tom, but uh, somehow I've covered it with my papers here. But uh, yes, a quick mute on that. I, 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 before I let you go, I wanted to talk about a few, a couple of other things because um, I know you're busy. It's Fashion Week and all the rest of it, but. You've done so many things. We talk about all this incredible brand that you've built with, you know, so many different layers. You've got stores all over the United States and, you know, you have your own e-commerce is big business for you. But you've also done things like written books. I mean, not just one book, but a whole slew of books. Uh, The Swell Collection. And and I've been looking at them and thinking, you know, just I started to read aspects of them. And again, it, it strikes me that you know your marketplace. You definitely talk to women. You talk to, this is a big thing for you. It's always for women, about women, you know, and the books are, are, are guidebooks for women. Hence, your podcast is ageless. You've never had a man on it. Until Nigel Barker appears. Until I was invited and then disinvited. But anyway, <laughs> um, but it, uh, uh, don't worry, it's all good. I'm, I'm quite, you know, I can handle it. We um, thought you were going to say no, that's why. He's never said no to anything. My God, he's going to be having an envelope, for Christ's sake. So true. I, I say yes to everything. That is my motto, in case you're going to ask me. I am going to ask you. God damn it. That's one of my last orders, rapid fire question. We haven't got there yet. Okay, Tell sorry. me about these books, those swell books. Okay, well, one funny thing is that we used to joke if we were going to ever do a book for a guy, we would have, for guys, we would have to go. We would have to call it swollen. Nice. Well, <laughs> yes. That, that you can edit perfect. that out oh. of the podcast. Swollen. <laughs> First of all, who says swell, for God's sakes? I mean, do people actually say swell? I mean, it, it's like one of the cheesiest words of all time, I think. I know. That's why we liked it. We thought it was funny. And then we would say swallow and, you know, like all kinds of crazy things. So I wrote it with my friend Eileen. and. We just did it for fun, and then it did become a bestseller, and then we wrote a bunch more, and who knows, maybe there'll be another one. Books are hard to A writer for the New York Times. Eileen? Yes. Yeah. It's not really fair when it becomes a New York Times bestseller, then. (laughs) You think we, like, grease somebody for that? It's called a (laughs) shoe-in or something. I'm, like, really smart. My God, I I mean that. You can bribe the New York Times. Writer of the New York Times, and then we're going to write a New York Times bestseller. I'm like, isn't that's what just happened, isn't it? I mean, so then, huh? What do I do? Pulitzer? Do I? I know who do you who do you hit up for that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, and you've written other books too. I mean, kids' books, all kinds of things. Like, what's next for you? What are you looking at next? I mean, is you, at this point, I guess we're trying to deal with the, the you know coronavirus. But is there uh, past you know post Corona? What's happening? Big dreams. Yeah. I mean, kind of the sky's the limit. I, I don't know. I really, what do you think I should do? I should make a movie. A movie? Yes. Like a real movie? Well, not a fake movie. I mean, I don't even <laughs> understand that question. What? Because the perno is definitely kicking in, Tom. <laughs> I, you uh, know, what's the problem when you're slim? Maybe a documentary would be fun to do. A documentary, like a docu-film, a docu-reality film on you, your life. I think it would be interesting. Of course, about you. Oh, no, not about me. Nobody cares about, no, that would not, 
Okay, we're going to move straight into rapid fire questions right now. We're going to have last orders with Cynthia Rowley. And we've all, the first question is, what's your motto? And I think you've already told us. I do think I, one of my mottos is say yes to everything, because if you say no, then that's the end of the story, end of the opportunity, end of whatever. If you say yes, you can always explore and maybe say no later. But my motto this week is the show must go on. Hell yeah. There you go. The show must go on. I like That's that. The, that the show must go on. Okay. Who shot your favorite portrait of all time? Um, let, can I get back to you? On? Yeah. <laughs> it has to be the best series of rapid fire questions we've ever done, Tom. Partly because we've already done half of them already during the show. And second of all, because, you know, I think I'm just going to answer them all myself. Um, in the movie of your life, who would you like to star as you. This is hard because I know it definitely would not be me because I had one line on Gossip Girl once and I could not do it. I couldn't do it. They were like, take 59, Cynthia, let's try it again. I just couldn't do it. And then Blake Lively had to come and give me a lecture about, or not a lecture, but like give me a tutorial about how to deliver a line that wouldn't sound wooden. I like the fact, first of all, that you were almost thinking about that the, in the movie of your life, who would play you that you were going to say yourself, you know, Blake Lively or something. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, who's... I'm avoiding the answer. Can't you tell? I know. I, okay. Okay. Fine. Fine. This is, we're going to leave it as Cynthia Rowley is going to play Cynthia Rowley. Okay. No, Cynthia Rowley is not going to play Cynthia Rowley. No, I think you are. I think it's going to be but Either that or I am. I'm going to play Cynthia Rowley because I think I could do it really well. Um, lace or ruffles? I think lacy ruffles. Lacy ruffles. Can I say that? You can. You can. You can actually just screw up all my questions, actually. <laughs> you can just decide to not do any of them properly. Like This next one, though, I want one or the other. Shaken or stirred? I, I did already give this away, too, because I said stirred. Because I read, actually, I think this might be in one of the early Swell books, that uh, Hugh Hefner said, everything looks better in slow motion. And he would instruct, you know, the bunnies and instruct his staff to do everything in slow motion. So I feel like stirred can be a little more in slow motion. Wow. Shaken cannot. Way to end the podcast on a Hugh Hefner quote. I mean, this is what you, you see, you, you get what the unexpected with Cynthia Rowley, everybody. You, when you least expect it, she even talks about her book Swell, which is a, a guidebook for women. And the first reference is Hugh Hefner and bunnies and slow motion. I mean, I think we all need to have a look at this guidebook. Tom, I think you and I might get some advice from this guidebook. For sure. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I love that saying. Everything. On that note, I think we have to wrap up Shaken and Stirred because it's getting a little stirred in here um, by all accounts. Cynthia Rowley, you have been a wonderful, wonderful guest. Thank, Thank you. you for joining us during Fashion Week. I know it's a very, very crazy time right now. It was lovely to see your two daughters pop in and out. I'm glad we did not lose your and dog. dog. You got um, to see my and, dog. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm going to have a perno next, I think, to add to my Jägermeister cocktail. Cheers to you all. Thank wonderful, you. wonderful. Thank you Thanks so much. much. Huge honor. I love you guys. I love the pod. Thank you so much. Pleasure as well. 
Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.